0: Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to podcast number 13. Uh, my name is Naaman Chilka-Anderson. Uh, so a big thank you to our last guest, Janice St. John Matthews, who talked about um, Capo C-A-P-H-O, and thriving dyslexia. And a big thank you to Joanna McNamara for being on as co host for the first time. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen yet, please do go back and take a listen on Spotify. Um, so for this week's episode, um, we're very pleased to announce... Um, and introduce our guest for this evening, Kristen Williams, who will be discussing her experience of having the BRCA gene and um, BRCA charity, a charity that she co-founded. Hi Kristen.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: That's okay. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself please?
1: Yeah, so I'm Kristen and it sounds really weird to say this but I'm the co-founder of a charity called BRCA chat Um, and I guess by background I'm a social worker so I come from all of this from a very kind of social care perspective. I'm not a medical professional I'm not like a scientist so I'm very much about kind of the emotional well-being side of having a BRCA mutation so yeah I, ra- I raise awareness I try and try and help people um, I share my journey and just try and kind of build the community in in the UK. Yeah
0: it's very exciting um, must, well was it slightly scary becoming a kind of registered charity now?
1: very scary it was like exciting slash overwhelming all at once and I wanted to tell everybody but I also kind of wanted to keep a lid on it so (laughs) I could get my kind of ducks in a row and know what I was doing but it's very exciting really happy and very proud to be part of it yeah
0: yeah no it's good um so I suppose to get straight into it really um so what is the BRCA gene and then uh, do you mind sharing your story with us
1: yeah of course so the BRCA gene, it's BRCA, and it, it actually is an acronym for breast cancer, which is a little bit misleading because it's not all about breast cancer. And there's two genes, so the BRCA1 gene and the BRCA2 gene, and they both have kind of like different statistics linked to them in terms of um, higher chances of developing cancer, certain cancers. But I'll talk about them as as if they're the same thing. Everybody has a BRCA one and a BRCA2 gene and that's something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of so when people say I've got the BRCA gene they don't mean that they mean I've got a mutation of the BRCA gene so Mm. all of us have BRCA genes and that they're good things (laughs) they're good positive genes because they work as tumor suppressors so they basically protect us against certain types of cancer so if you have a mutation of that gene it doesn't work as it should work So it means you're much more, you know, you've got higher chances of developing breast, ovarian cancer, there's links to prostate cancer, and then there's still a lot of research being done about it, really. It was only discovered in the 90s, which isn't that long in terms of sort of scientific um, discoveries and and research. So there's still lots that's been spoken about in terms of BRCA and the impact it has. I know some research says about links to kind of skin melanoma, Um, some talks about like... not called eye cancer but yeah links to different types of cancer so generally you've got to be pretty on it and healthy and aware of all different types of risks Um, but mainly it's spoken about with breast and ovarian cancer and prostate cancer.
0: Okay and what's your kind of story been? So
1: well I guess one of the main things about it is that it's an inherited gene and it runs in the family so For me, I found out, I think like six, six years ago, it must have been when my mum was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she was diagnosed with quite a rare form called primary peritoneal. And because it's so rare, they wanted to test her for the BRCA gene because there were links between this cancer and BRCA. And it was a bit of a shock, really, because we didn't have any, really any other cancer in the family. So a lot of people know or have a real feeling that they've got an inherited cancer risk because all of their like cousins and siblings and aunties and uncles will have cancer but for us in our family it was a real shock um and really I wouldn't have been eligible for testing if mum hadn't had this cancer I wouldn't have been eligible so it's quite interesting we'll talk about that in a little bit but she was tested and she found out two weeks before she died, that she'd got this gene mutation. She didn't know what it meant. Like, she had no idea, and in her head, she thought that meant I had it. So she very kind of, she wasn't very well at the time, but she quite insensitively just texted me saying, I've got it, you've probably got it too. <laughs> I had no idea what it meant. Everyone was very frightened. <laughs> so it was a bit of a bombshell. Um, but because she had it, it meant I had a 50% chance of inheriting it. Same with my brothers. I've got four older brothers. They all had a 50% chance of inheriting it. It runs through the male line as well. So if your father has a gene mutation, you'll have a 50% chance of inheriting it. If both your parents have a gene mutation, you have a 75% chance of inheriting it. So yeah, it runs in families. And that's that's how my journey began with it. Um, my mum yeah, died two weeks after she found out. And I very quickly wanted to get tested. And that's something, it's different for everyone. Some people, some people don't want to know. Some people, you know, that they might have so much other things going on that this is just another thing. And they, some people have a lot of health anxiety and they just don't want to know about it. But for me, straight away, I had to know. I, I'd already assumed I had it because she sent me a text telling me I had. <laughs> so, yeah, I went and got tested and found out maybe six months after she died that I'd also inherited, I've got the BRCA2 gene so I was 27 then and I for me they basically said we're not going to do anything till you're 30 so we're not going to do screening you're not going to have the option of having preventative surgery just kind of have a little think about it see what you want to do um yeah and I I buried my head in the sand a little bit because it wasn't it didn't feel like a huge risk at that time because they'd said don't worry about it um it's different. It's different for everybody. Everybody's experience is different. The advice that people are given is different across the country. Um, I know lots of women who I've spoken to have been told, you know, they can have screening at different ages, they can have the operation at different ages. It's all it can be very confusing to navigate. It really can, especially when you're talking to people in the community and they're all saying different things about what they were offered and when. Um yeah so that, that was me and then in terms of what I did next I went and had as soon as I turned 30 I went and had a consult- consultation with a plastic surgeon just because I wanted to know what my options were and what the risks were and I'd done loads of reading about it and um, I, I'd started having these meetings about having preventative surgery which is preventative mastectomy and it, it was just hanging over me I just thought I can't. I don't want to think about it anymore. The risk was kind of like a grey cloud over my head, and I just wanted to get rid of it. I just wanted to get rid of the risk, so I opted to have the preventative mastectomy. I had it when I was 31. So here I am, a couple of years later, um, loving life still, <laughs> helping yeah. other people. Um, I've got to think about the ovaries, but that's not until they've said to wait until I'm 40 for that. So I'm having a few years. I'd say I'll have a few years not think about it but I'm not really because I'm talking about it all the time I'm helping people all the time set up a charity but a few years for my own personal journey to kind of not have to think about the next steps for me I'll get there
0: <laughs> yeah I'm sure no, yeah. You thank you for sharing your story I yeah. mean it sounds quite challenging it's not as you said probably not the kind of text you want
1: no um, I remember it very clearly it was a bank holiday and I was in a beer garden having a nice beer with my mates (laughs) (laughs) you've got BRCA (laughs) she said something like you've got BRCA it's not up to me to talk to you about it speak to some doctors I was like thanks (laughs) mum yeah yeah it is it's a it's a bombshell and I think one of the huge things is it because it's rare it's only about one in 400 people have this gene mutation it's it's not like you know people who are going through it it's not something that's really spoken about much so when I was, I just felt so lonely, I had no idea who to talk to, and uh, you know, none of my friends really, they're brilliant, but they didn't know what it felt like, or what I was going through, so yeah, it was a emotional challenge, hmm. shall I say.
0: But again, you've set up a charity now, which is nice, and su- well, it's a supporting community, isn't it, in a yeah. way, which we'll come on to in a minute, anyway, yeah. but Um, you said so it's one in 400 um, can Mm. get the mutation so that's uh, men and women yes yeah so it's the same and how does the screening so you said you were only offered screening because your mother obviously tested for it and had the gene so is that how the screening works across the UK
1: in terms of testing you mean testing for the BRCA gene
0: yes sorry yeah
1: yeah yeah so if one of your parents have it you've got a 50 percent chance of of inheriting it so anybody with a parent is eligible for testing without a doubt you know that's that's quite straightforward so i did a little poll on instagram last week and most people whose parents had it they said it was an easy process it's been a bit difficult because of covid and waiting times and and things like that recently but other than that it's quite straightforward and a lot of people already have a genetic counselor attached to their parent who's got the BRCA gene so gene mutation so they'll have some kind of support already available there. Hopefully um, it gets a little bit more complicated when there's lots of cancer in the family. Cause w- what I would say is breast cancer is the most common form of cancer in women. So it is, and one, one in two of us will get cancer in our lifetime. So when people yeah. are like, Oh, so many, so many relatives in my family have breast cancer. And if you look at it, they're all over the age of 80 and you know, it, that's quite, That's quite common and only like about 10% of breast cancers have an inherited gene mutation linked to it or they're from like inherited gene. The rest of it would be kind of your normal environmental risks or not. not, hang on. That's not what I mean. Normal um, levels of risk in the community. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That
1: makes sense. So most people with breast cancer do not have gene mutations. Um, And that's where it gets complicated because a lot of people will want testing as soon as a relative is, is diagnosed with cancer they will always want to test the relative with cancer first and then figure out because then they can rule it out if they don't have it then they wouldn't go testing the rest of the family um yeah so it's it has been a challenge i know so many people who have been turned away from testing um i know sadly people who have been told they couldn't be tested and then they found out that they've got it after a cancer diagnosis um you can do it privately as well. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. So if people are kept getting turned away by the NHS and they're really anxious, then I I would recommend doing it privately and and kind of either eliminating or finding out about that risk. Um, But yeah, you will be offered it if your parents have it. it. It's also a real big family kind of dilemma, isn't it? About at what age you tell children, you're not, you're not in this country allowed to be tested till you're 18. So a lot of parents are battling the fact whether they tell their children when they're younger or whether they wait till the children are 18 or yeah it's a challenge some people are estranged from their families or you know people are adopted and don't know about like their family inherited risks so it it can be a real difficult thing to navigate within a family um and some people want to get tested and some don't and that can cause a lot of friction amongst siblings and yeah, I know of people whose parents haven't, like their grandparents have it and their parents don't want to get tested. And then you've got the children saying, but I can't find out unless my parents are going to get tested. Yeah. And then you've got the whole thing. If those children go and find out themselves that they've got it, then they're essentially telling their parents that they've inherited it off them if that makes sense
0: of course yeah. you've
1: got a parent saying i don't want to know and you've got a child getting tested positive for this mutation and then the parent by proxy is finding out that they've got this mutation so it's really it's a very complicated thing in terms of family dynamics and in terms of access to testing as well um but yeah sorry
0: you mentioned the genetic counselor um i've actually not heard of that role before
1: yeah is that something
0: that's always attached to something like this and um are they do they just get you get a referral to them straight away or
1: yeah you should do you get put under the genetics team there it's not inter it's not my um version of counseling if that makes sense for me it's more of a medical meeting it's about you meet up with your genetic counselor they tell you about the risks. they tell you about your options they kind of support you to make your decisions they refer you to the right people but it's not like therapy it's not necessarily talking about how you feel and your emotions i know some people some people do get that in different hospital trusts um i know one of my friends got offered like six sessions of like actual counseling through it but for me it was just a couple of meetings and it was very very medically based um about my options but yeah i think it's really it, one of the main things is about being well informed about what the risks are and what your options are so yeah that's really it's positive very positive to have genetic counselors so, yeah yeah, and that,
0: yeah yeah no it sounds good and i suppose you've touched a bit on the geographical differences is it quite different across the country just
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it really is and it's very frustrating um and I, it's, you get different advice which is it also really depends on your family history so if you've got a lot of young cancers in your family you'd get recommended potentially to have preventative surgery younger and then for example for me because my mum didn't have breast cancer I was recommended you know it wasn't don't wait till you're 30 there's no point in worrying about it so it depends on your family history as well Um but yeah some people have told me that they They haven't been listened to, like, or they've gone to their GP and their GP hasn't known anything about it and sort of sent them away. Um, Some, you know, I guess this is the same with any health conditions or operations. Some waiting lists are a lot longer than others across the country. So some people are waiting for a very long time. Um, Yeah, so it's different across the UK, definitely. It does make it a challenge.
0: And I suppose now that you've set up a charity, um, you know, we met through social media and that's obviously how we've connected. Now we're chatting here, but, um, you know, what what are your views on social media at the moment as a support network, especially if it's so different across the country?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I'm, why I'm here. (laughs) It really, I started off with an Instagram account and I was like anonymous and I would, I would go on there and follow people and not, really post much myself and I didn't share my name or my face and through Instagram it was that was the most help I got I got more help through that than I did through kind of any medical professionals if that makes sense and i that's not that's not a dig at medical professionals it's just about that community and having somebody who's been through it and who can talk to you about what they've been through um and show you pictures and like the, the, the community is just incredible on social media and I've made some amazing friends for life through it. So it's it's an absolute blessing, but it's it's in your face, isn't it? So it's the same yeah. with a lot of social media. Sometimes it means it's really hard to switch off from it. And especially people can post what they want on social media and that's the beauty of it. But with that, you get people who are posting their, you know, They've had complications or they've had bad experiences or, you know, they've had to go back into hospital or they're sharing images of, of, of things that can be quite upsetting. So sometimes you're on there and you might be scrolling and it can be a real trauma seeing what other people are going through if they're going through a hard time and not, you know, coping with it very well. So it's a, it's a double edged sword in a way. It's brilliant, amazing community, but you have to be in the right headspace, I think, to, to access it at the right time. Used to do a bit of scrolling when I was drunk. <laughs> Be like, oh my <laughs> god, I, just
0: shouldn't
1: <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, and but that's it. It's all about the community and supporting each other and having somebody to talk to, really, who knows how you're feeling.
0: Yeah, and I suppose with social media, you can talk to people a bit easier <clears throat> than it yeah. has been in the past, can't you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, but no i I, I, well, I believe in social media to a respect so I think as healthcare professionals we always say yeah try and stay away from the online forums as much as possible with and stuff like that but as you said there is a lot of positive yeah. lot of positivity that can come out from it as well
1: yeah definitely I mean i've I've been um <laughs> told before that I'm too positive about it and you know I do quite a lot of talks and I do like volunteering for ovarian cancer action where we do like mastectomy talks and I've seen people like comment on the chat as I'm talking like what about the bad experiences you're only talking about the good experiences and I think whatever which way people are always they're all dealing with it in their own way and sometimes people want that negativity sometimes people need that because it helps with their emotions sometimes people want positivity it's it's all about the individual and where their head is at at the time as to what support they need. Sometimes people want to have have a big moan and feel sad, and that's completely normal and fine. And to feel that grief and to feel connected to other people who are grieving and that and that's normal. And some people just want to be surrounded with positivity and like the happy happy stories around it. So yeah, it's just different for everybody what they need at what time.
0: Yeah, just sure. that, that grief. Yeah, at different stage. So.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that can be helpful because you're seeing somebody on the other side (laughs) or it can be really rubbish because when you're at the bottom of that and you're feeling so awful and you're seeing other people are positive, you just sometimes it can make you feel so much worse about your situation. So, yeah, it all it all depends.
0: (laughs) It does. does. Mm. Um, But I suppose moving in quite nicely with going into what the charity is doing now. So your charity that you've co-founded. So Breka Chat. Um, What's next for you?
1: Oh, that's very exciting. <laughs> um, th- so the main reason we set it up is because there there is a lack of support. There is a real lack of emotional support. And like I was saying earlier, I just felt so lonely. And so I didn't know who to turn to or who to speak to. And a lot of people who reach out to me have said they you know the the cancer charities out there are absolutely incredible and they're a wealth of knowledge and they they're so fantastic but the support services are quite often for people who have cancer and a lot of people who have gene mutations and they're you know going down preventative routes they'll they'll contact me and say "I, I don't feel I don't feel comfortable or I've been turned away because they're saying I haven't got cancer and I don't know who to talk to So I just really wanted something, I mean, it's very early days, but I just wanted something where we could talk to each other and have a support service for people across the UK. And I think I see it as being very much community-based and peer-led and like a voluntary service where people can help each other. So I'm going to try and set that up. And I've been doing, ah, for like the past year, maybe I've been doing like a BRCA buddy system. So I just and set people up across the country if they live close to each other so I know lots of them they find solace in that they go for cocktails or coffee and just Jeez. have a meet up and have a chat so it's just about building a community and building support services at the moment and that you know the big dreams <laughs> I don't even know if I should say them yet the big <laughs> dreams are more about like that therapeutic support like proper counseling therapy sessions I want I want support for families. I really want support for families. I want support in relationships and how it impacts, you know, friendships, your romantic relationships. I know in one of your previous podcasts talking about the impact of, of on sex and your sex life and, you know, things like women having mastectomies and how that makes them feel about their body image and how that might make mm-hmm. their partner feel. It's just, there's so much to it. It's not just... Okay, you have a risk of cancer, you have an operation, that risk has been taken away. It's what else comes with that? What impact does that have on your life? How does that impact your mental health, you know, anxiety, post traumatic stress, all of that? So, I really want to set up just a more robust support system and support services. Um, just realise as well, I haven't really spoken, I've focused quite a lot on the boobs and the mastectomy and preventative ops um, and not so much on the ovaries because that that is also it's a huge thing to go through and there's a lot of fear around that because you have if you have your ovaries removed you go into um pre-induced menopause so the impact that has on somebody and and you know the risks that are associated with that the balance of you get risks of osteoporosis you get higher risks of kind of heart disease all of these things that are linked to having your ovaries removed and your hormones are kind of yeah, messed about um and going on hormone replacement repa- therapy it's a huge impact it's a huge impact on people's lives and yeah i just i don't think it's spoken about as much um with the ovarian cancer side of things quite quite often the cancers start in the fallopian tube so at the moment there's um women are offered to take remove their fallopian tubes first so that they can then have the ovaries removed a bit later. So it gives them a bit more chance to yeah, go into the pre-induced menopause a little bit later, or hopefully fingers crossed have their natural menopause and then have their ovaries removed. So that's, that's an option as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it's about not just the support services, but it's about talking and raising awareness about things like this. Cause not everybody knows about these options and what the impact is of, of having this, um, Because I remember when I was first reading about BRCA and there was a woman, I read about it in the stylist magazine actually, and there was a woman, she was waiting to have her ovaries removed and she'd had both her children. And in my head, I was like, why, why do you wait? Like, if you had your kids, what does it matter? And I had no idea about like the fallout of, you know, the hormones and the pre-induced menopause. So yeah, it's really about raising awareness and just not making people feel like they're not alone in the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, you've touched quite nicely on the holistic approach, which yeah. is obviously something it is nice for us if we can offer it to all of our patients. Not every patient will want it. so. Yeah. But as you said, it's finding the right almost buddy in a way if there is someone who needs help anywhere in the country and finding the right help. yeah. Um, so it's good. And I think, although, as you said, uh, BRCA isn't as well known about, I hope, you know, moving forward, the community that you build, you can start, as you said, those big ambitions and um, they yeah. can start to come come through
1: it's very exciting (laughs) I think (laughs) I think yeah
0: yeah no it's good um I suppose just quickly to touch with is there any way sort of healthcare professionals like I suppose me can kind of help with that community support as well in the future
1: I guess it's about sharing that sharing that exists (laughs) sharing that there's support out there if it sounds silly I don't think any healthcare professionals would have ever said this to me but like have you heard of instagram <laughs> That's it. some people will come to me and they'll be like i can't believe that there's this much level of support on instagram or facebook or twitter so it is about just saying like these these people exist there are there is a community out there and you can tap into it and just raising awareness about that um and and encouraging people to reach out i think i think a lot of people are afraid to do that and it's quite daunting and maybe they don't want to meet other people who are going through it. But I think it's about really encouraging the benefits of peer support and community support around it. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it, it sounds really good. Um, so yeah, it's been, so I to, to finish in a way, Kristen, um, do you have any top tips for any patients, students, or healthcare professionals that are listening? Yeah,
1: I think, well, like I've said before, just to, talk about it and, same with absolutely anything in life that is terrifying or maybe a bit taboo or whatever. When we talk about it, it 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 minimises that anxiety that people feel, and it makes them feel less alone. Um, I think one of the main things that I've heard a lot of we call ourselves braca mutants have <laughs> heard a lot of them say is some people will say, "Oh, well, at least you don't have cancer. At least you, you know, you're really lucky." And, You know, that is obviously that is true and we are lucky to be in a position to do something about it, but then a lot of people feel like they are then their needs and their emotions are not taken seriously because, you know, they they have the opportunity to prevent it and I think a lot of them don't feel supported in that way. Um so I guess it's it's about about talking about the benefits of it but without minimising the emotions and and the anxiety and the stress that comes with it at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's what I would say to people who are recently diagnosed with a BRCA mutation. It's like, yeah, it's really hard. It's going to be really hard. You've got a long journey ahead of you. You're going to have tears. You're going to be angry. You're going to go through that grief process. But at the end of the day, it is, it's is—it's an opportunity, and knowledge is power. And you've, you've got this opportunity to prevent getting cancer and that is a really wonderful wonderful thing so it's the silver lining around it and I think I said to you when I spoke to you before I wouldn't change it I wouldn't change it for the world my genes Mm. you know what what I've been through all of my trauma all of my loss I it's made me who I am and it's introduced me to such incredible people I wouldn't I wouldn't change it and I you know welcome anybody into our community with open arms (laughs) and say you'll be all right We've
0: Got your back, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's really nice, and I hope, yeah, people can take that away from this podcast as well.
1: Yeah,
0: um, that'd be good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you very much for being on. Um, thank you for having me. It's been me. really interesting. Um, I think the main thing I, I didn't her actually was just stands for breast cancer. Yeah, there you go. It's your <laughs>
1: takeaway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, but um, thank you for everyone um, who's listened today. So, my name's Lynn and Again, I'd like to say a huge thank you uh, again to our guest, Kristen Williams. Um, if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions that will be posted like this, especially, uh, and with some links to resources, including to bracket Chat um, and any literature that sort of, we've discussed in the podcast. Um, to receive your CPD digital badge, please complete the form linked uh, with this as well. Um, so our next guest to feature will be William Kennard. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. Um, take care and good night.